The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Welcome back to the Secrets of Technology podcast. I'm Kim Commando, America's digital goddess, and I never miss an episode. You're listening to the Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hello there. And Father Andrew Kinstetter. Hi, Father Andrew. Hello there. So uh, yeah, we, we all have to do the Obi-Wan. Hello there. That's, 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 yeah, <laughs> that's your standard trademark. for me anymore. <laughs> so uh, let's get right into things this week because we get a, a, a full agenda and uh, we've got some great feedback, two different bits of feedback from listeners, and I want to get to their questions right up front. Uh, the first bit of feedback uh, harkens back to our recent episode when we talked about uh, Kindle tips and tricks, our best and favorite Kindle tips and tricks that we wanted to offer. And so R on YouTube asks, is there a good Catholic Bible for the Kindle? I'm thinking something that makes good use of Kindle features. For me, it would be for personal reading rather than study. And that's a good question. There are a bunch of Bibles that Amazon offers for to, to, in Kindle versions. And there are some study Bibles and regular Bibles. Now, most Catholics will usually choose the New American Bible. Uh, I prefer the uh, Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition uh, translation. There, there's different. The Bible's in Greek and Hebrew, and then it gets translated into English and it's different emphases are done differently in the, that's what different translations are. So re revised in a version, there was a different set of translators. It, it's, it gets complicated. Trust me. I've been working on that for a long time. So one of the, one of the points on that is the new American Bible is the translation that you hear at mass. Exactly. So if you, yeah. if you want to, to stay with that translation, go with the new American Bible. I also like you, Dom for personal prayer, prefer the, the revised standard version, the yeah. Catholic edition. I kind of like the language. It feels more majestic and mm -hmm. less pedestrians <laughs> yeah. at times. Well, in, the, in that case, I like and have long used as a, the Kindle version, the Ignatius Bible. And it works on Kindle fine. It looks just like the books. You can do highlighting and you could do word, the you know, the word definitions and you can do uh, notes and all that sort of stuff. So it, it takes advantage of all the regular Kindle uh, features on it and so it that and it's inexpensive it, you know less i think less than a paper paperback version would be anyway so uh pat did you have a particular one that you liked well i went with the new american bible because i wanted to have you know so i could be prepared for the sunday mass readings and i wouldn't be saying oh wait a minute why did they say that uh, <laughs> right. that type of thing so uh it, it's it's re real common you know uh but the the i don't remember i forgot to look up the price uh, but uh, it it works really well on the Kindle. It's it's fine. Yeah, and the, most of these will be relatively around the same price, around ten dollars or fifteen dollars, somewhere around there. Um, and they have all the things that the print versions have, like the the footnotes and the maps and the, that sorts of things. I had to be honest, and I didn't say this in our Kindle episode, but one of the downsides of the Kindle readers is when it comes to maps and illustrations. 
uh, a because it's all grayscale, and so you can't see any color if they have color. Uh, and it, because it gets kind of small and cramped, and you, there are ways to make to 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 expand things like magnify, but it's really kind of uh, janky, <laughs> honestly. And I often will open up the book on my iPad at the same. I prefer reading on the Kindle, but I'll open up the the book on the iPad in the Kindle app there, just so I can look at the color illustrations. Uh, so that you'll have the same issue with maps and other illustrations that might be in a Bible. So th there's that. Uh, the only other thing I would mention is, is our friends over at Verbum. They have the Catholic Bible study software. Uh, now, R, you specifically said it's for personal reading, not study. So th this may not be for you. Uh, it's it's definitely a little more expensive, but you're getting a whole library of not just Bibles and multiple Bible versions, but you'll also be getting uh, Bible references and study books and all kinds of stuff like that for, for what you get with that. But uh, that's also something to check out. It's not on Kindle. That's that's a, another mm -hmm. key. It's only available either on uh, on a phone, a pa tablet, or desktop. So just something to keep in mind. Excellent. And if anyone out there has a a version of the Bible, a Catholic Bible for Kindle that they like, maybe do a Reams if there's a good one out there. I don't I don't know of one, but if if there is one, uh, or there's some other versions, uh, translations of the Bible that Catholics use, we'd love to hear from you. All right, that said, let's move on to our other listener question. This comes from an email from Bill. Bill says, I have an older laptop with Windows 7 Pro Service Pack 1 still running on it. The performance is great, but Microsoft has stopped pushing out updates. I'm hesitant to purchase Windows 10, given my prior experience accepting the free upgrade from 7 to 10 on another laptop, which ruined the performance. Is it okay to continue running Windows 7 or... Is the 10 upgrade, which I'm not entirely sure my hardware will support, a must? Perhaps it's time to finally take that Linux jump, he says. So, Pat, I think you're our Windows user here. So I'm going to first throw <laughs> the win Windows user. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw the Windows question to you. But I also want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, running obsolete Mac OS and other th issues related to it. But maybe you could address the crux of Bill's question on, on whether he should upgrade from 7 to 10 or do something else? Well, I go through this with a lot of my clients all of the time because they they love their Windows 7 machines and it's, you know, they've been good workhorses for all this time and they hate giving it up and they've heard awful things about Windows 10. Having said all that, uh, number one, if the machine is greater than four or five years old, it's time for a new machine because the hard drive is going to die, the power supply is going to die, the video card is going to die. One of those things is going to render it obsolete anyway. And your data could be at risk if you haven't done a good job of backing up. The second thing is, is that even if you said, I want to do it anyway, you cannot officially get a copy of Windows 10 for an older machine anymore free. So you would be talking about if you were trying to dot your uh, P's, I's, and, and cross your T's, having to pay a fairly good-sized amount for Windows 10. Uh, and the third thing is, is even if you, number one, circumvented the, the legalities of it and f found a way to upgrade it, the drivers are probably going to kill you. Because I have had people that even did the upgrades fairly early on and now they try to do an upgrade to the latest version of 10, and they've been upgrading all along, and all of a sudden a hard drive driver doesn't work, or a video driver starts causing their machine to blue screen, or you can't get printer drivers for that old, old printer, which 
that means you may have to buy a new printer as well. And especially if you have an old scanner, on uh, when you do an upgrade to uh, do a little bit of a jump to a new OS, you're often in, in danger of losing that ability to use the old scanner. So I have a few people that keep a Windows 7 machine and it runs and they use it for scanning and things like that. My caveat is don't put it on the Internet. Let it be only inside the, the home machine and not get on the net at all because it's very, very vulnerable to viruses and to exploits and they will never be fixed. And so that's the, the biggest thing is the security issues. That's the that's the big the big problem with keeping an old machine running, you know, on an old OS is the lack of security and the danger of even if you don't download things, if it's connected to the internet, there are port scanners hitting your ports and I mean it's just even too with dang- a firewall. Right. Yeah, it's even just with too firewall. dangerous. So yeah. Uh but like you said, you know, keeping it offline as a print server or, uh, or you know, game or, machine, game yeah. machine, or you know, uh, just to to do scanning, yeah, that would that's that's right. Was there anything else? Well, I yeah, I ran into something else actually last week. I had a client who was doing the same thing, and all of a sudden, all of their bookmarks and links that they had set up for websites that they went to all the time that were good current, you know, addresses started failing, and it would say, "I'm sorry, I can't get there," because HTTPS is now on by default, and these old links didn't have HTTPS embedded in them. They were still trying to go to the non-secure site, and now the browsers are saying, "Uh uh-uh, can't do that. And there used to be an extension that would force it to say, oh, well, just change it over and use that. And I finally found one for her, but the ones that had been out there before that I trusted are all gone and no longer supported. And this would affect... Yeah, everybody. She would have to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's the big biggest thing. So I usually recommend getting instead of jumping to Linux. If you're already familiar with Windows Seven, you've got less of a, a learning curve if you just go to Windows Ten and straighten up the Start menu so that it means something for you. And I can always, I'd always be glad to email with any of our listeners to say, okay, this is how you kind of clean it up a little bit, and then it looks very similar to Windows Seven. And then I usually recommend getting a Windows 10 machine with home with 8 gig of RAM and an i5 or an i7 Intel processor. Uh, That seems to be the most compatible uh, machine out there for for doing all this. Uh, Dell is very good. There are some other ones, but Dell has been serving uh, me and and my business associates a long time and seems to last longer. They seem I have a lot more old Dells than I have old HPs or anything else. So that means that they just are tanks. You can be like Justin Trudeau. I just as a tangent. Speaking of HP, he got caught. The Prime Minister of Canada got caught uh, online. He was doing some sort of computer like uh, Zoom thing, and he had an HP in front of him. And it had an Apple sticker over the HP logo. <laughs> He's pretending it was a Mac. I I just thought it was funny. Uh, well, that's, that's funny. My Dell had a, a an Apple logo on the back of it. My <laughs> Dell laptop for a long time. That's awesome. So uh, that so really good. Those are really excellent uh, tips and and advice for folks. I want to give a little advice for someone who might be running an obsolete version of Mac OS and maybe why you would want to run an obsolete version of Mac OS. So like. So on the one hand, it may be just I have an older computer. It still runs all the software I want. I, it doesn't, you know, it's it's like like Bill was saying, 
it's not slow. It does what I want. I'm just worried that it's old. And as you said, things will be in the fail. Hard drives have a lifetime of, you know, of, of a few years. I, I usually say three or four years. Uh, power supplies, screens, all, all the hardware will eventually fail. But on top of that, Apple's pretty good about doing uh, security updates for a long time. Uh, I'm not sure how whether how it compares with with Microsoft because Microsoft does a good long time as well, uh, but eventually that will stop. But one of the things that really happened is in 2019 when Apple released uh, macOS Catalina. That was a dividing line, and all where programs that were 32 bit stopped running. And we've talked about this before. And so you would only run 64-bit software. I, we don't need to get into the difference. It just, it just software that is older and software that is newer, software that's been updated and software that hasn't been updated. And a lot of people had software out there that, that never got updated. The company that makes it doesn't exist anymore or something along those lines. Or it's too expensive to upgrade and for, for the, the things I'm doing with it. So what do I do? So you can try to continue to run an old Mac. And I've seen people do this for years where, where you know, big companies had a Mac SE in a corner running some old, old custom software that was vital they're vital to the running their business and that sort of stuff. And it's the same sort of thing. The other option would be if you get software like Parallels or VMware, their emulation software, and usually Mac users would get it if they want to, say, run Windows on their on their Mac or Linux. Uh, but you can just as well run uh, a Mac OS. And why would you? So you kind of like it's like a put. Um, what's the Russian nesting doll? It's like a Russian nesting doll. I was going to use the echo <laughs> word. Uh, you know where you have a Mac OS inside a Mac OS. But so you say you're running Catalina or Big Sur, which is the current version, or whatever Apple's about to announce in about a month, uh, you could you could have macOS Mojave running in emulation and running 30-bit. Or Snow software. Leopard. <laughs> or, or even something older, right, if you can get your hands on it. And there you can, a lot of these, I didn't check, but Apple has a lot of these old operating systems still available for download. I'm not sure all the way back to Snow Leopard, but they're no, out not there. not that far back. Yeah. Uh, it, and again, it's the same concern that you have with, running uh you know the the old windows uh operating systems is security when apple stops doing the security updates for that version you've got to keep it off of the internet it's just not safe anymore um and, and i hate that i hate that this is necessary but that's the way we are you know with the, with the world we live in you just can't um and you may also make a good point about the unsupported hardware and drivers apple has the same problem with mac os every time there's an upgrade some I don't know what it is about scanners, but some scanners will stop working. Some printers stop working, uh, and then you know we have to figure out some kind of workaround. So that's possible that you end up having to do that. Uh, but I, I tell you, Macs they can run for a good long time, and Apple's really good about making their operating systems backward compatible. So if you have an older Mac, five, six, seven years old, I've got a five year old Mac sitting here that my son uses, and it's got. I think it's it's got Big Sur on it, the latest operating system. I mean, they they can run for a good long time. It's dead right now because the SSD drive died in it. That's a whole nother tale of woe. That's going back for a warranty replacement. But uh, so that's a good point. And then uh, Jack Barazzini, who's also a panelist with us, uh, you know, on uh, Secrets Attack, he suggested when I brought it up that uh, if you are, you know, upgrading to new hardware. You know, think about throwing uh, Ubuntu or Ubuntu or Cinnamon Mint, which are all uh, versions of Linux, 
on that old computer and and either learning how to do Linux or handing it off to a to a, a young a young person who doesn't have a computer and wants to learn how to program in Linux or something along those lines. It's it's entirely possible to give new life to that old machine. And uh, the various versions of Linux that you mentioned are actually very user friendly. You you get a CD or you get a install thing, and you go through the install, and there's very little that you have to learn about the the innards of the in system because they've really made the update process and everything into a much gooier method, and you don't have to c- jump into command line. Now, if you got something fancy. Fine, yes, you do. But if you're just trying to get it up to run Firefox and or Mozilla and get a, a word processor and things like that, you can do it pretty easily and, and not have to know much about it. Because if anything goes wrong, you just rerun the, the install on the next version. That's right. That's right. All right. Anything else we should say about this? You two covered that really well. <laughs> Everything that I was going to say, you already covered. So, <laughs> Father Edgy, what's um, your oldest Mac that you uh, you've had? Oh, I think so. I think I jumped on board when it was Snow Leopard. So that 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 one definitely rings a bell. It was so I was I was in college, and it was oh, not to make <laughs> sorry for all the <laughs> for all of the <laughs> okay, the, the okay, age we're thing feel here. Old. Don't worry, you know. <laughs> Ageism, that was, ageism. <laughs> that was roughly 2008, 2009. So, so I've been on I've been on a Mac for eleven years or so, twelve years. Um, yeah, and I and I think the only thing that I, that I was going to say was, you know, he he asked uh, if it was okay to continue running running Windows Seven. It is absolutely okay to continue running Windows Seven, but you guys made the point that just make sure that it's not connected to the internet. You know, I I have a, a Windows ninety five machine downstairs that. Um, still runs, but it couldn't connect to the modern internet, internet anyway. It needs a modem and a dial-up connection. <laughs> right, it's safe. <laughs> right, right. It, yeah, yeah. Or I guess you. Know, well, I, I don't know if I'd recommend that. But if it is connected to the internet, just absolutely do not use it for anything that you would be at all concerned if someone were to to hack or to steal. Right. But, don't put so, but that's pretty it. much anything. Like, yeah. You know, a lot of, I found a lot of like church offices, diocesan offices will often have old outdated machines. And this is a concern that I'm constantly talking about, but uh, it's important to keep up to date on these things. When I went to work for the Archdiocese of Boston, we were still and this was in 2007. We were running Windows XP still. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I still walk into doctors' offices and see Windows XP running on their their reception desk, and I'm saying, "Oh, please! I hope that's not on the internet. Oh, it's just on our local network. No, it's on the internet." Yeah, <laughs> some of that is interesting too, because before I before I entered seminary, I, I interned with the coal mines here in Wyoming, and so I was in their IT department. And um, I'm pretty sure Windows Seven was released by that point, but they were still using Windows XP, and and they were still using it because their corporate offices hadn't yet filtered through all the new the new OS and all the new the software and Windows XP was still being supported but like they couldn't update their computers without permission from the IT office in in corporate and you know so some of that is just it takes businesses a little longer but at a church it's more just they're comfortable with an older machine and they <laughs> they don't they have need, anybody they need, to upgrade it for them right you know? right Yep. Yeah. 
and and as I remember, the, we were still in XP. It was still being supported because that was the Vista days and all of that mess. <laughs> nobody of wanted those, to go to Vista. <laughs> nobody yeah. wanted. Oh, there was like several uh, versions of Windows back then that nobody wanted until finally. Uh, what was it? Was seven the one that came after Vista? I think. So, yes. Okay. And finally, seven was the one that people were willing to upgrade to. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, the church is slow to do things. I, I, when I started the Archdiocese in 2007, I was told that within the past, they had been using ledger books for accounting within the past 10 years. I think I said this last week, but yeah, so it just, yeah, it's the, the church is slow to on the technology. And so that's just the way we are. Well, and there's another, uh, kind of hardware related thing. I had a lot of people who continued to run XP because they were using machines that they were controlling through the Windows XP machines that did not have drivers when you went to Vista or Windows 7 or any of those. So that was a real concern. They had to stay on that and they just had to make sure they weren't on the internet. Yeah, and, and like definitely like industrial machines and that sort of yes, stuff. Yeah. Yes. And even on that front, too, um, I know this isn't necessarily directly to his situation, but you also can use uh, Parallels or VMware to emulate older Windows OSs. Yes. So, That's true. You know, That's true. If, yeah. if you really like Windows XP, you can you can emulate that in, in VMware Player or Parallels, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You do um, have to have a legitimate copy of Windows, right. that version on CD or something, and that's becoming harder to find. Right. And you can isolate it within the 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 emulation box. You can isolate it from the internet and that sort of thing. Yeah, too. right. Yep. Right. Very good. Awesome. I think that uh, that, that about covers it. Yeah, Bill. If you have any further questions or any listeners have any further questions on that topic, we'd love to hear from you. We could try to do our best to to give you some more information. Before we head on to our next uh, set of headlines, we want to talk about. I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Technology, including Paul S., Brian L., Robert W., Daniel P., and Ben H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So uh, this week, in fact, I think it was yesterday as we are talking, uh, Google had its big spring event with all the tech companies have their spring events. Google had their Google I.O. event. And the general consensus, I think, as we were chatting before the show was it wasn't all that exciting. Now, it may be that Apple's events are their events are run by marketers and Google's events are run by engineers. <laughs> and that's that's a little bit of the difference. But the, I mean, there was some things that they announced, uh, you know, new technologies, new initiatives. Uh, one of the things I don't, I didn't list the headline here, but uh, it, it recurs to me that they had the announcement that uh, their Google is partnering with Samsung to advance the the Wear, uh, the, the it's their watch OS essentially, uh, the, the for their watches, the Android watches. They're they're partnering with them, so that should help bring more state of the art to Google's watches uh, in the in the ones that run Android. So that's good. Um, Anything that kind of jumps out at any of you that was kind of interesting to you from from what we saw? Well, mainly because I do use it a lot is Google Maps. Uh, I like, you know, some of the – there were not huge changes, but they were some nice changes. And they're more traffic-based routing like Waze does and, and things like that. They've incorporated a lot more of their purchase of Waze into their main product. 
Yeah, I I like that they're getting into this some of the details, things that they're not flashy improvements, but they're more you know quality of life sorts of improvements. Like one of the things is a uh, a busyness information on a neighborhood level where. You know, the example they say, if it's Saturday morning and you want to explore your city without the crowds bogging you down, maps will tell you the busy hotspots to avoid, like streets near the farmer's market. Uh, how is it That's over good. there uh, in Laramie, <laughs> Father? In Laramie, Wyoming? <laughs> well, I, just, I, just, I just have to laugh because if it's a busy day, it's still going to take me five minutes to get across town. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Those two traffic lights, right? <laughs> so so quali- quality of life for Laramie, it's not really going to do much. But if I do go to Denver... Yes. say yes. Right. you know then absolutely in fact Waze was um I, I know it's part of google now but i mean i remember using Waze when we would travel as a family and i was rounding dad around traffic accidents in kansas city and like he was Huge. impressed yeah. you know so and this sort of thing is actually even more important i think for people with cities that you're not familiar with places that aren't mm-hmm. home because yep. you know you usually know where the, oh yeah in my town the farmer's market's over there so i don't go through there on those days Yep, or you already know the shortcuts that are going to get you around the busy intersections, and and you already know that. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, like when I used to live in Salem, Massachusetts, in October, I would have loved to have had you know this, <laughs> these improvements to get me to reroute me around very localized jams. So that was that was always a huge problem there for the Halloween stuff. Uh, all right, so the Google Maps improvements those look good. Uh, how about you, Father? Anything uh, jump out at you? It jumped out at me, but not because that I use it, just because I think it's helpful is that the, um, uh, I guess it's called the smart canvas, the um, collaboration with using Google, Google apps. And um, specifically, if you're collaborating on a document, you can have a Google meet with people you're collaborating with just right there within the Google document. And I thought that was very helpful in our current kind of uh, way in which we're doing work. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, I've almost do that now. Like right now with this show, I've got a Google document open next to our Google Meet that we're meeting in. Yep. It would be helpful to have that all in one document <laughs> right there. Yep. So, yeah, I get that. Um, yeah, actually, that's I hadn't connected that specifically, <laughs> but even even uh when I was uh, when I was hosting the the podcast on Secrets of Star Wars with the interview with Vanessa Marshall, I was I was <laughs> as we were talking, I was like writing notes to my co-host saying like we don't have time for this question, you know, <laughs> we'll come Skip back one, if please. we have time, <laughs> right, you right, know, and and it worked well. But you're right, it was there was there's two separate windows. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. One of the things that kind of uh, I found interesting was this new material you. That's no, hard for me to say. Material U redesign, uh, which is it's the design aesthetic of the of the of the Chrome, how it's how it looks of the I'm sorry, of the Android device, how it looks. And I think it's a reaction to the whole aesthetic thing with iOS widgets last year, where you could use shortcuts and widgets to really you know personalize and change up mm-hmm. the way your your phone, your iPhone looks. And so this one is where. The the phone will automatically adjust its coloring of the background, you know, based on your wallpaper and other things like that. And so that it it, it creates this more unified look for a lot of people. It, it turns out, you know, I think it surprised Apple, Google, a lot of things, that a lot of people really want their phones to have a particular look that is personalized to them, which I think, you know, Steve Jobs would be jumping out of his turtleneck if if, if, we, <laughs> if someone proposed that the hoi polloi could you know 
decide what looks <laughs> better. changes, yeah. <laughs> yes. But it, but I think we're at the point now where, you know, th- this sort of thing can be done in, as people are kind of guided within, you know, gu- guidelines. So uh, it's hard someone say, you know, one of the things that they could do is, for example, have it match your phone case. So where you, uh, I think it was Andy Anatko was talking about this in his uh, material uh, podcast, where he you, uh, you take the case off the phone, take a picture of it, and then so the phone sets all of its uh, visual cues to that co- that tint and color in a compatible way, you know. So the icons and the background and the highlighting and all that stuff would be, you know, I mean, it seems frivolous, I guess. What do you think? Is that frivolous? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, I guess it's the aesthetics of it aren't as important to me, but for someone who's an artist or somebody like that, you know, color is their way they see the world. Yeah. And so I can see that they would like more control. And if there's some things like that that can de- be done without making the phone look so different from person to person in terms of function, I'm all for that. It's where that I pick up a phone and I can't tell where the settings are. I can't tell where the apps are mostly on Android uh, because Apple pretty much has standardized things. But uh, you know, so I could, I see where that would give people the chance to say, Hey, it's personalized without messing with the structure. Yeah, that's true. I don't really think it's frivolous because I think there's, there's something innate in all of us that wants to assert our individuality. And I don't think that that's bad or wrong in any form. I mean, that's that's why most of us, um, perhaps not all of us, but that's why, you know, a lot of us will get the crazy fun phone cases, you know, to 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 I don't I mean, not necessarily that we need to assert the fact that I'm unique, but but we do that. Like I have I throw stickers on my laptop, you know, and 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 it's just it. I don't know. It makes it it makes it feel like home. home. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, You know, and there's something there that's that's like we don't want to be just one of one of many uh we're not we we don't want to be borgs we're not just a number or a drone you know and and i think we sort of do that with our phones and want to make them individualized just because we have them with us all the time you well, know like nobody nobody would think to do too. Say, say that again say just like some people do that with their cars because they're yep. always in their car and that car is an extension of them. And yeah, I can see that now on the phone because that's something that is almost never gone away from you. So, yeah, yep. you would never have done that with a, with the, the home landline phone. Right. <laughs> but we will with, with a phone that is in our pockets all the time. Oh, you mean you didn't remember the princess phones? <laughs> <laughs> no, or the Mickey the Mouse only, phone? <laughs> the yeah. only sticker I remember on our phone was we had like one of those like 10, 10, 3, 2, 1, you dial that first and you get like, I don't know, a discount or something. I don't, yes, I don't even remember. Yes, the long distance calling. I, <laughs> yes. I just remember that sticker on it, but that was not to be individualized. That was to remember to dial that so you get a cheaper phone bill. Well, I was just thinking of the, the high schoolers. In my high school days, the, the princess phone was a big deal. <laughs> yes. Well, I the, never had one of those. The oh, Mickey Mouse phone. I always wanted one of those ones. It's Mickey holding up the, the handset. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we are dating ourselves. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, Google, Google Photos is also getting some increased uh, th- uh, things, some uh, more control over the machine language powered memories, those memory features. One of the things they bring up is um, – Say you've had a you had a bad relationship or you just, you know, something happened at a particular time in your life that you don't really want to be reminded of on a regular basis. But 
you don't want to delete your photos because deleting photos is a big, I think for me even, is a big deal. Like, I don't like deleting photos, even for things that are sort of mundane, because that sort of, seems sort of final, because I have a terrible memory. So so if I get rid of a photo, that's like erasing my memory. But I don't necessarily want to be reminded of these things. Even like, I take lots of pictures of food. My wife takes lots of pictures of plants. And like constantly when I have these memory things, and whether it's Facebook or Instagram or not Instagram doesn't have memories, but, you know, or the Echo, I'm seeing lots of pictures of like plants and you know what I had for lunch <laughs> six years ago. I don't I, I would love to suppress those. And so that's what long story short, Google Photos is getting more giving the users more control over that. So that looks kind of cool. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I've got some people that were very sad when memories would come up of the, of uh, a funeral or something oh, like yeah. that. Some, sometimes those are important to go back and remember and see who was there mm-hmm. and, and what, what people were able to be there and, and brings back good memories. But for some people, it's it's it brings back very painful memories. You want to some people would want to see that intentionally. I want to go look at that, yes. not have it come up unexpected. Mm-hmm. And it kind of can be a shock uh, right. to you. I, I, I get that. And then a couple of things that Android will do, uh, they're, they're adding a remote control app for Chromecast, which is just like the remote control app for the Apple TV that Apple has. Uh, and the digital car key, which Apple added to iOS last year. Hey, I am. I, I don't feel like it's copying. What that says to me is, is if Android and iOS have digital car keys, it means the car manufacturers will get on board as long as these things are interoperable. It's it's so it's good for for competition and growth in this kind of technology, and it's yes. going to force them to be more secure and just keep innovating. And yeah, if, if both of them are doing it, they're gonna they're gonna make it better and better and better. And it's less likely they'll drop it, like Google has a tendency to do of something even good. If Apple's still doing it, they're probably not going to drop it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so that was Google I/O. Uh, some interesting stuff. And like I, I said earlier, Apple's got their big uh, software announcement, the WWDC Worldwide Developer Conference, coming up on June early June, June sixth or seventh. I forget what it is. Uh, but uh, so, and we'll of course talk about that when that when that comes. All right, some other headlines. Uh, I think, Pat, you were the one who brought this one to my attention about this guy. This is fantastic. So it's obviously an Oculus Quest uh, story because Pat brought it to my attention. Pat loves the (laughs) Oculus Quest. You know, we've learned that. Uh, And what this guy has done is inside the virtual reality space, he has built a Commodore 64. Not just like... Oh, look, it's a cute model of a Commodore 64. It's an operational Commodore 64. You can insert disks into it with programs that run on it. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> this guy has done this. And all I can say is, is I want an Apple II version of that. <laughs> I want yeah. my old Apple II back. But uh, this is pretty wild. I, I don't know anybody who's used it. But what do you think of this? I think it's great what what people are able to do with their imaginations to bring the real life into an imaginary space like that. Um, For instance, recently uh, there was also a a port of a pinball machine into (laughs) VR where you actually, you know, you're you're hitting the sides and you're punching the buttons and you're pulling the and I'll have to admit I never did that when I was a kid. <laughs> but this is things like this give people access to technology or things that were in the past in a way you couldn't do it very easily in in real life. That's true. There aren't a lot of Commodore 64s out there for people to no. play with. 
It would, yeah, yeah, that'd be a fun thing for uh for you know a grandparent to to show their grandkid that I mean and and it I think you, they um did you watch the video that he had with it yeah yeah you know so like you can turn off the the fast loading things and you can make it just Slow. act like right act like it like it would have um you know so that it's it, it would be a fun thing to do for your for your kids or grandkids but also just I I love the nostalgia of it. So the Commodore 64 was before my time, you know, but, but I still just, I love that idea. And then I, and through that video, he's built this virtual space for it. And I was super interested. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the DeLorean from back to the futures outside the window. And he's got like a star Wars poster and, and the enterprise D hanging from the ceiling. And and like it, (laughs) it is a total geek. 80s geek kind of room which was really fantastic and that's like yeah it's like a ready player one it was awesome (laughs) oh totally i mean i tell you if i could go like it is this is a sort of a parallel to this if i could go and walk around in boston in 1942 with my grandfather you know the my grandfather's world when my dad was a kid my dad was you know in 1942 was like uh, 10 you know if i could walk around and experience their 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 world and that's sort of what this is is this could let young people experience what their parents like my age mm-hmm. would have had and used i mean i would love for my kids to be able to see you know this is what apple II e like i could probably download an apple II emulator off of the internet archive and and they could play it on my Mac. And it's not quite the same thing, though. And I would love for them to be able to experience that. So uh, good on him. This is this is great. And, and with technology changing so much, I mean, you, you can wait 10 years. And I mean, the technology from 10 years ago is is obsolete. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like it's changing so quickly that this this is a cool way to kind of go back and revisit those kind of things. It's a way of. of- Kind of like it's it becomes almost a a museum of mm-hmm. of things yeah. that you can do, and we've talked about that on the on the earlier thing that, that sometimes people will make a museum out of virtual objects. Well, this is making a museum in virtual space of real objects. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a a, a forward thinking like the Boston Computer Computer Museum could totally take something like this and create. Virtual, the ability for people to sit in virtual space and look at these old computers in the environments that they were. And I can't imagine, you know, in five or 10 years, how real it will seem and how cool that will be. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, exciting. Yeah, this is great. All right. From the uh, utopian future to the dystopian present, we should talk about this (laughs) next line. Uh, This is a CNN story about this. It's a basically an open source. Not, no, it's not open source. I should let me amend that. A public, publicly accessible facial recognition tool. Now, most facial recognition tools that are out there that we've talked about, like Clearview AI, are private. You have to pay big bucks, and only like Clear, Clearview is only accessible to law enforcement. That's what we're told. But what they do is they scrape the internet for photos, and then they can compare. You know, like a policeman can compare a photo that they have of a suspect against the database and try to come up with a identity. And we've talked about the problems with that and how uh, facial recognition technology isn't good about uh, identifying minority uh, facial features and is really bad at that. And it just all the kinds of uh, privacy problems. So there's this other software, the site called Pim Eyes, that is accessible to anyone. And you can use it for free for in its basic features. And I tried this out. And yeah, it I put my 
I uploaded my photo, my profile photo to it that I usually use, and I found a bunch of photos of me, all my profile pl- photo places, but other photos of me. And then it was like, and then here's uh, other ones that may be of you. And there was like dozens of big guys with beards and dark hair. <laughs> it was it was kind of <laughs> kind of amusing, actually, how many guys that kind of look like me there are out there. Uh, no, it was a little amusing. Now, apparently, if you pay a little extra, you can get better results. And the thing they worry about is this makes it accessible to people for stalking. Like if I, that's a worry, you know, if I'm a creepy dude and I see a pretty girl in public, I can take a picture of her face and then upload it and find out who she is. It's not that hard. Like they don't tell you here's a picture of so-and-so, but it's not that hard to go from the image they show you to a Google image search and finding her profile or where that photo came from. I mean, it's, it's, if they, if someone knows how to use PIM eyes, they know how to get more information or, you know, if a potential employer doing deep searches of potential employees and all kinds of things. What do you guys think of this? Is this kind of shady? Uh, I should also <laughs> add that the the owners of this are pretty shadowy. It's, it's actually it's it's in the I think the Seychelles is the corporate um, the 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 where it's registered as a corporation. Uh, in which makes it sound like it may be under a shell corporation and maybe. The actual company is in Poland, but no one's quite sure. It's very, very shady. I would be very uncomfortable with it, but I don't know if there's a way that you can say, well, it, let's make it illegal because, you know, it's it's, it's just photographic, you know, and matching stuff. And so, but yeah, I can see, especially on the stalking thing. And also misidentification is just as big a problem on that, even if they, if somebody says, oh, I'm mad at this person who was at this demonstration, I'm going to get them. They go and pick up and get the wrong person. Right. That's Whether they get the already. right person or, yeah. yeah, right person or wrong person, identity can be a real, a real big problem. And so, yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't know of any way to prevent it with free speech and access to public information because, you know, your phone number, address, all those things are in public databases. And so it's already out of the bag. And I and I, I think it needs to be pointed out, too, that that we are willingly giving up some of our privacy by using the Internet. And I mean, so like I, I put my own photo in there and a bunch of pictures came up as well. But. All of them were photos that I posted either to my website or to Facebook or or wherever. So, you know, I'm you responsible for, yeah, I'm responsible for the reason that those photos are up there. And and of course, all of them that are up there are perfectly fine. I, I have no problem with them being out there. But, you know, if, if, if we're really concerned about this, we should be not uploading photos of ourselves. Right. Well, and there are a lot of people that say, you know, I'm, my life is public and that's, it's already too late. We don't, we can't expect privacy and just, I have to behave the best I can because I am a public entity. The bigger, I think the bigger concern and the valid concern is the one about misidentification. And that's one that is really tricky because like I'm, I could be doing everything right. I could have no pictures online, but if someone, you know, misidentifies, if there's a facial recognition mismatch and comes up with my information somehow that 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 
is concerning, you know, or if I don't get a job because someone thinks, oh, you're that guy. That's not me. I didn't do that. You know, that that's concerning. But uh, well, we'll have well, that to... kind of goes along with the deep fake stuff, you know, that, that it may not be you, but you all of a sudden you're targeted and you're banned or you're turned down and you've got this bad reputation and in it's really hard to get it back again after something like that happens. Right. That's where that we've talked in recent weeks about these efforts to have sort of um, NFT identification or you know blockchain based identification. Blockchain identification. Yeah. Yeah. Where you where your your identity can't be faked and you can uh, you know assert this is me and that's not me. Uh, the, the, it, it's kind of complicated. I'm not sure I understand all of the technicalities, but uh, hopefully we'll advance in that area as well as this because it's such a need. Right. Let's talk about our, our last headline before we get to our picks. Uh, this is, again, another story that we've recently been talking about, the Colonial Pipeline. Everybody has heard about that. It's this pipeline on, that provided something like 60 percent of the oil on the East Coast. It transports uh, oil and gas up and down the, the coast. Uh, it was shut down due to a ransomware attack and there were these huge gas shortages. It was like back in 1977 again, <laughs> sitting in gas lines, uh, people putting gasoline in plastic bags in their trunks. It was horrible. It was a bad thing. And we were told, oh, it's because it was hit with ransomware and it shut down the infrastructure and our infrastructure. And our, we were talking about this. Our, our infrastructure is, is vulnerable. Well, it turns out not quite the whole story. What happened was is that the ransomware didn't hit the control systems for the pipeline. It never hit anything that actually is vital to the operation of the uh, pipeline. What hit, got hit with ransomware was their billing system. And because they were worried that they couldn't uh, accurately bill for the tra- for the oil that they were transporting and selling, they shut it down. Mm. Now, I mean, I guess I could see where someone they, they would say, "Look, you know, our we our company lives off of the ability to bill for what we're we're, we're shipping, and if we can't bill for it, our company's going to shut down." But yet, we sent our country into chaos, or a big part of our country into chaos for that. So, um, interesting to see that it's the 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 tertiary effects of this, and I think maybe that's what surprised those ransomware hackers who got all worried that they were being seen as attacking America's infrastructure when they thought they were just hitting a billing system. What do you all think of this? Oh, it, uh, again, they shouldn't be doing that. But on the other hand, they were not as nefarious as a lot of the ransomware is out there. And uh, I understand that. And in fact, I understand that they even apologized that they weren't really trying to disrupt society. And this was something that was an unintended consequence. Right. But uh, yeah, it still not doesn't make it all right to do it. Right, right. And and the 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 um, I mean, the, the pipeline company you know, still paid the ransom and still lost all those millions of dollars uh, to to pay the ransom anyway. So, I mean, it's, I guess they were, they were looking at losing money either way. Right, right. right. It, it, I'm going to, I'm going to on a limb and wonder whether uh, the U.S. government offered to reimburse this company if they would get things back, going back again, because it was a, a I'm, that's, that's based totally on speculation, but it would seem to me that it would be in the, the country's best interest to have this major pipeline not go down. Uh, and then, you know, maybe the NSA can track down where the money goes from there and we'll take care of those guys. They can be, end up in Guantanamo Bay or yeah, something. We'll Jason Bourne after them, you know, is Matt Damon available? Uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, oh, I think I have the plot for the next Jason Bourne movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's ripped from the headlines. 
All right. So those, those are our, those are our headlines this week. So let's uh, move on and talk about our picks of the week. Uh, Pat, let's let's go with you first. What do you have for a pick this week? Well, you did say that I like the Quest just a little bit. <laughs> so uh, since I've been using my Quest, I've got a couple of areas that I can work out in, and one of them's pretty small. And there is that danger of when you're flailing your arms around like a, 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 a roadrunner or a, a Jedi. Yeah, yes. or <laughs> Bugs Bunny, uh, <laughs> that you could encounter some hazards. And I have. I had a big bruise on my arm for a while. Uh, so what I found was something that would help me keep ch- centered on a small space. I got the, there's a whole bunch of different sizes, but they have several features. One is that there are textured things that you can feel with your feet. If you're in socks or barefoot, you can tell where you are and what direction you're standing in. And uh, some of them are perfectly circular. And so at least it keeps you on that space. But this one actually has a different front than it does a back. And so I can tell immediately which direction I'm I'm looking at oh. or I'm, I'm pointed at. And as well, it's got a fatigue type of, uh, uh, well, how can I say, anti-fatigue cushioning on it. And so I can be in that smaller space and not be worried about hitting something as well as uh, I, my feet aren't getting, you know, they, they potentially they wouldn't get as tired when I'm standing for a while. And so that was my my pick of the week is uh, and it's it's one that rolls up and you can stick in your suitcase. So oh, nice. So you can take it on the go. That's right. And I did. I did on my last trip. I took it with me to Las Vegas and uh, found a space in my my brother's living room that I didn't hit anybody <laughs> <laughs> and they could laugh at me. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, the first time you bowl in uh, what's the, the, uh, the, the scramble score, sports. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you hit your your wrist against the desk in yes, front of you. I did yeah, that too. Oh. oh yes. That was, that was, ouch. yeah, mine was a coffee table, but yes, <laughs> I, I had <laughs> knuckles that, that, that complained a little bit. Uh, there are a ton of videos online of people, you know, in their living rooms freaking out and then running into their big screen TV and smashing <laughs> it to bits. And yeah, uh, yeah it's a, this is a good, this is a good pick. I like this. That's a good idea. Uh, all right. Father Andrew, what's your pick this week? Well, since we decided to talk Google, I wanted to go with the Google product, and I'm surprised that this has not been a pick yet on this show. Me too. I, I, yeah, me I too. searched through our list. Um, so my pick is Google Voice. So not not a, at all a new thing from Google, but it's it's actually been around for quite a while. But Google Voice is a free service. Um, all you need is a, a Google account. And it gives you a secondary phone number that you can call from, you can text from. Um, it'll get voicemails. It'll transcribe voicemails. You can link it to your cell phone number. So, in fact, there's a there's an app for um, uh, for iOS and Android that you can have that, you know, if I want to make a phone call from my Google voice number and not my personal cell phone number, I go through the app and it basically calls my phone. And then I and then from there, it kind of links me to whoever I'm calling. So it basically gives you a, a completely separate phone number for uh, for calling, for texting, for voicemail. Um, it can be helpful if you, you know, want to give your number out, but you want to keep your personal cell phone private. Um, what I actually use it for here is I use it as the emergency number. So if someone calls into the office outside of hours, um, that cell phone number is there in case of emergencies for sacraments. And so when someone can call that number and it calls my cell phone rather than giving out my personal cell phone for all to hear. So free. And really, really fantastic. So that is my 
pick this week. Let me tell you, I've had a Google Voice number since it was called Grand Central before yes. a, uh, Google bought it. <laughs> wow. And it's, I've never, you know, in our married life, Melanie and I have never had a landline. We've always had a Google Voice number and then our cell phone numbers. And for the longest time, I actually had this device, and they still sell them, called an from OBHI, it's called, O-B-I-H-A-I, I'll put it in the I'll link in the show notes, which you can hook up, you can direct the Google Voice number to it and hook up a regular phone to, huh. like a, a desk okay. phone to it. So like a uh, VOIP number. It's a, it's a VoIP number, yeah, exactly. And you can even p- uh, port your current landline to it if you want, and, and to the to Google Voice. Uh, one of my favorite features is if you want to black uh, block a spammy caller, like just someone, if not not just like a random caller, but there's a specific number that keeps calling you, and you're like, uh, I, I don't want this person to even know that I'm alive anymore. You can not just block them; you can have it uh, uh, tell them that this number is no longer in service. Yeah. <laughs> which is i love that feature but uh yeah i, th- it's, I think it's great. and i haven't played with it uh recently but i think you can also set up voicemails for specific numbers so like depending on who calls they would hear one thing versus another yes i, think yeah, I remember that have, I, I i have seen that um the other thing is i like about it is is that you can you can you know say it's forwarded to your cell phone and this other phone so that if something happens in in your phone is no longer working, you can have it directed ad hoc to any phone number you want, which means that you never will lose calls. And yeah, that's my business. My business uh, number is, is, is a Google voice has been for about five or six years or however long it is. People can even text the number and you can have it forward the text to save messages on your phone. So that's a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things about that is, is you know, I don't lose my calls or texts because there's always a log of it on when I go into Google voice, as well as I get an email uh, for, from whether it's a text or a phone call, I get an email saying you have received a phone call or if you've received a text. So I don't tend to lose things as easily. That's right. And you can even download the messages from the right. web browser. Yeah, it is good. It's great. That's a great pick. I, I'm, I'm I am glad surprised. you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. surprised we haven't thought, thought, thought of that before. That's good. So my pick this week, this one's going to take a little explaining. It kind of goes along with my pick from last week, which was Obsidian, uh, which is a personal knowledge manager software. This is called Hook. And let me try to simplify it as much as possible. Hook lets you make links you know, URLs to anything on your Mac. So if I have a file, I can do the command, uh, what was it, command, shift, space, and it'll bring up the hook interface, and I'll say copy link. And it will come up with a link that I can copy anywhere on my Mac, and it will be hook, colon, slash, slash, and then the, the, the this particular information. And then I can link to any file, any mail message, any Slack message, uh, it works with a whole bunch of different Mac software out there, and the, you can link deeply into something. So let me tell you how I would use it. For example, if I have uh, an email that comes in from someone, and I want a t- task, I, I put something in my task manager to do something about what this person sent me an email about. But I want to have a link back to that message. I just make a, a, a hook link to it, and then I copy that link into my task manager's notes. And so when I, when that comes up, I can click the link and bring up the message for, for me. I could put it in my calendar or I could put it in Evernote. Um, and th- there's other features, too. I mean, that's the basic feature. There's there's ways to to have uh, bi-directional links so that both files, if I have a if I have a 
a, a file on one side and I, I do the command shift spacebar, it brings up the hook interface and says, hey, there's a link from this file to this other file. And then if I do it on the other file, it will link back to it. So there's bi-directional linking. It's all, it's really cool. Um, the guys behind this are, they're, they're like these super geniuses who do like, uh, they have PhDs in psychology and human brain interface or, I don't know, cognition, something very complicated that I didn't understand completely. But whatever it is, it's a really interesting uh, piece of software that really fills a need, which is to be able to connect to things all over your computer uh, and be able to find things a lot easier. I really like this this uh, this feature. So it's called Hook for Mac OS, and it's at hookproductivity.com. Someday, Dom, I want to just like look at your computer and see what all of these <laughs> random... Uh, awesome programs that you use. <laughs> we might not recognize that it's a Mac. <laughs> Father Corey once challenged me, like to to do my all my picks for a while on all my menu bar utilities, and so I've been working through them. We're, we're getting one by one through them. Uh, I am sometimes I'm amused at, at times about what as I'm working, thinking, yeah, people would see what I'm doing here and wonder how. Like I have so much automation that helps me get shows out. There's no way we could SQPN could have. What do we have to 15 shows without the level of automation that I have in my Mac? It's it's really fantastic. And yeah, and um, I thought I was a programmer. You're much more programming <laughs> than I am. <laughs> yeah, I it, actually, if you listen to the Mac Geek Gab podcast, I was actually had a tip on there recently because it's one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, I get a lot of great ideas for this podcast from there. But they actually had one of my tips on there for iCloud syncing. And uh, I'll just throw it out here a little bonus at the end of the show if i had problems with icloud drive not updating i i have occasion sometimes to have to download a file from my iphone to icloud drive and then what i want is for hazel which is a automation software when a file shows up there a particular kind of file shows up there it automatically processes it and does something to it but it wasn't happening and so i found out that icloud drive wasn't syncing properly which just wasn't downloading the file but if I created a folder, blank empty folder in Drive, that it kicked the 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 uh, iCloud sync in the pants and got it working again, and the file would download. So I created a keyboard maestro macro little automation that creates every ninety minutes. It creates a, a blank an empty folder and deletes it. And so it's just a way <laughs> wow. to kick in iCloud Drive in the pants. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, that's what I call it: kick I call iCloud uh, in the pants. Uh, to make it sync, that's kick what I call it. it. Kick it. Uh, so yeah, it's it's actually the, the it names the folder kick iCloud. So um, yeah, so that awesome. I mean it's these little things that really makes the computer work the way you want. And and so it's, I have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, one of these days we'll have a whole episode where I talk about all of my all my uh, automations. That should be interesting. <laughs> all right. I think that should do it for us for this for now though. And so what do you think of our discussion? If you have any feedback on anything we talked about, whether it's on outdated OSs or Catholic Bibles for the Kindle or Google I.O. or anything else we talked about, you can send us your feedback at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Remember to like each episode of Secrets of Tech where you find it on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter at, S at sqpn, or on Instagram where we're at StarQuest Network, and uh, leave comments wherever you find us. We'd love to hear from you. 
Until next time, Father Andrew Kinstetter, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. Absolutely. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Until next time. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>